Today's reading from the Word of God comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Following the reading, I invite you to respond with worship through the singing of the doxology. And at that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the good news. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Bryn, and I am one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay Church. And I'm so glad to be worshiping with you all this morning. So we want to take a minute and just be quiet to, to focus on, on God and God's word and to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us uniquely where we are this morning with whatever story we brought in, whatever uh, we're thinking about. We want to invite God to speak into, into that place in our lives. And so I'm just going to give us a minute to be quiet, to assess where we are, to pray, and I'll open us with a word of collective prayer after a minute. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are so good to us. And as we click into the rhythms of fall uh, and all that that brings, we pray that we would click into your rhythms, that you would teach us how to live as you live, as you would have us live, and that the example that we set would be a witness to the world of your light and your life, that we would live and love in such a compelling and Christ-like way that our neighbors would be inspired to seriously consider your claims and to join your community and your story. So we pray this morning that you would teach us more and more about that story, that you would invite us to be a part of it and show us ways that we can practically do that this week and beyond. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who was here last week for Celebration Sunday? Yeah. 
Last week was so much fun. It was our celebration Sunday. We threw a big 10-year anniversary party. We announced our new name, Anchor Bay Church. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the, the sermon podcast so that you can hear about how our name and our logo reflect our updated vision statement. I talked about how one of the first images that people associated with Christianity as early as the first century was an anchor. And as I was doing research for the sermon and I was kind of looking into ancient anchors, I learned that anchors were originally just rocks. And I was like, so were we, a high rock. (laughs) But just a quick recap on our vision, values, mission statement. So our updated vision statement, which is really just the mantra that we've had all along since we started as a church 10 years ago, is transformation through loving Jesus, serving neighbors, and celebrating life. Our new mission statement, which is actually our old mission statement, it's a return to our original mission statement that we planted with, is creating a community on the North Shore that lives and loves in such a compelling and Christ-like way that our neighbors are inspired to seriously consider the claims of Christ. And our values, our core values, which keep us on track, are hospitality, curiosity, humility, authenticity, justice, creativity, and joy. So we're going to unpack all of these uh, over the course of this next year so that we can uh, enter this next chapter, this new season as a church being rooted and established in who God is calling us to be collectively together as a community that we have discerned together over this last year. But this morning, we are going to kick off our fall sermon series, which is in the Gospel of John. So I want to give a huge thank you to Mandy O'Donnell, who created original artwork for us. It's going to be on the communion table um, for this next season. She's in the nursery today, so if you see her after the service during Soul Food, tell her thank you for sharing her creativity with us. And we have a couple other Anchor Bay artists who are going to participate by creating some artwork for us uh, throughout the course of this next season as well. So we're actually planning to spend the entire next year in the Gospel of John so that we, we can really do a deep dive into this Gospel. We're going to take a a break for the seasons of Advent and Lent, but beyond that, we are going to be in this gospel. So I would encourage you over the course of this next year to read the entire gospel start to finish with us, maybe even a few times as we go. And if you're new to scripture, if you're not familiar with what the gospels really are, it's a word we toss around a lot, but the gospels are books in the Bible. There are four of them, and they're written by from four different perspectives of people who walked with Jesus in the flesh. They're the parts of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus start to finish. So these Gospels are really at the core of what we believe as followers of Christ. So this year, we want to invite you, just as the Gospel of John does, to come and see who Jesus is. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the hundredth time, to just really root ourselves and establish ourselves on who he is and on his good news as we enter into this next season. Next week, Pastor Jean is going to do kind of more of a broad overview of the whole Gospel of John and even dive a little bit deeper into this week's passage as well, uh, the same passage that we're looking at this morning. But for today, I want to start with an in-depth look at one concept that I, I believe is really foundational to the entire Gospel of John and that is really meaningful for me personally. But I want to start our study this morning with some familiar words. In the beginning. In the beginning. Two books of the Bible start that way, in the beginning. The first one is Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. With a word, God created. And then there's the Gospel of John, which starts that way too. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning, in both, God creates 
with a word. And not just a word, the word. The word behind all the worlds, the creative life force behind cats and caterpillars and crayfish and cats. <laughs> and in the Gospel of John, something amazing happens with the word, the word, this creative force which spoke whole worlds into being. It becomes flesh and it moves into our neighborhood. It's God's own word with skin and bone looking at us face to face. In many ways, this word Jesus was just like us. He, he felt the things that, that we do. He was tempted with things that we are. He ate and he laughed and he told stories. He wept. He got annoyed with his friends. He liked a good party. But among all the other things that made Jesus unique in all of human history, from you and from me, what made him distinct, we see one thing in this gospel that marks him unique in all of human history. It wasn't necessarily his, his miracles or his charisma or his hilarious puns, although he did make a lot of hilarious puns. It wasn't his dashing good looks or his fashion sense. We don't even really know if he had any of those. There was one thing in this passage that makes him stand out unique in all of human history. It's one line that we read at the beginning of this gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth full of grace and truth. When you think about that concept of full, he was overflowing, he was filled to the brim with both grace and truth. Jesus was all grace all the time. Grace, it's a kind of love that is free and undeserved and without condition. It's a kind of love that is unbroken, uninterrupted, unearned. It's the kind of love that says, I choose you, I am with you, my love for you is a gift that you cannot earn. And you cannot lose. If Jesus came as skin and bone, then grace is the skin part. We need our skin. Skin is how we touch each other. It's how we reach out. It's, it's how we embrace each other. It's what holds everything else in our bodies together. Grace is God with skin on. Jesus was all grace. And Jesus was also all truth all the time. Truth. It's the, the reality of God's goodness, God's holiness, God's character. It's direct confrontation. It's calling things out. It's naming the reality of how things actually are. If Jesus came as skin and bone, then truth is the bone part. We need our bones. Bones give our bodies structure and stability. They're what prop everything else up inside of us. Truth Truth is God with a backbone. Jesus was all truth. Jesus, this word made flesh, super and natural, God and human, grace, God with, a skin, with skin on, and truth, God with a backbone. All grace, all truth, all the time. That was Jesus. That was one of the things that made him unique from the rest of us, because for most of us, that blend of grace and truth, it isn't always so easy. I remember a, a few years ago, a friend of mine was struggling with an eating disorder, and she'd been in and out of group homes, and, and she'd been doing okay at the time, but she still struggled every day. And I remember one week, she was having a really rough week, and she asked if I would have dinner with her one night. And I, I thought it was a really healthy decision to reach out to a friend for a meal to grab dinner uh, instead of falling back into old habits. 
So we, we went to dinner, we sat down, and when it came time to order food, I ordered a meal, and she ordered hot tea. She said she just wasn't hungry. Really? Was she really not hungry? Or was she going back into her old patterns? Now, if I press her on it, I risk shaming her. I risk making her feel guilty. Maybe she won't even reach out to me the next time. But if I don't say something, I risk enabling her. I risk letting her fall into that same old cycle right in front of me. So how do I blend grace and truth then? How do we, how do, we do it when we face that person whose decisions have been hurtful or painful to us or to someone else? How do we blend grace and truth then? When we see a family member that we love consistently choosing their work over their family, when our spouse can't seem to stop drinking, when our friend doesn't respect, respect our boundaries, when, when a colleague says something insensitive, how do we blend grace and truth then? Do we say something? Or do we just turn the other way? Do we let them know how their choices really made us feel? Do we have the hard conversation? Or do we just let them do what they're going to do? How do we move them to act with integrity? How do we hold them to a, a higher standard, encourage them to be their best selves, while at the same time saying, I care about you, I'm not here to condemn you, I love you no matter what? Well, in those circumstances, and I bet we can all think of them, in those circumstances that we will all face at one point or another, most of us lean towards grace or truth, one or the other. Now think about it for a second. When you think about your tendency, do you tend to lean towards grace or truth? We're going to unpack both of those. On the one hand, there's grace without truth. We let everyone get away with everything. We tell them, you do you. It's, everything's fine. Because who am I to tell you how you should live? You want to flirt with someone who isn't your spouse? It's none of my business. You want to live with your addiction? It's up to you. You want to push people away with your busyness, your bossiness, your lack of boundaries? You do you. Sure, we might not agree with their choices. We might be glad that we didn't make them. We might even feel a little twinge of superiority that we're doing better at life than they are. We don't want to hurt their feelings, though. We don't want to lose their friendship. We don't want to come across as critical. So we say what we're supposed to say. We tell them what they want to hear. We minimize the reality of the pain that they've caused. It's okay, water off a duck's back. It's not that big of a deal. And lots of us, we act like that's how God is too, or how God should be, right? God is just a, a good-natured old softy who tolerates everything and includes everyone all the time. All of those old-fashioned immoral standards, don't worry about those. Those are done away with because of the cross. So as long as it feels good, it's probably okay. You do what's good for you. And even if it isn't, who am I to speak into how you're living? That's not my place. And that's, that's biblical, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Or at least we can hide behind that verse sometimes when saying something hard hurts. And even if this isn't our view of God, it's often how we're expected to be in our culture today. In our world, accepting everyone else also means accepting everything that they do, everything that they think, every choice that they make. Anything else is judgmental hypocritical, bigoted, and if there is anything I don't want to be in our culture, it is judgmental and hypocritical and bigoted. But here's the thing. 
Grace without truth, it doesn't have a backbone. Now, don't get me wrong. In our culture, we love the grace without truth people. They are the nice people, the anything goes people. They don't ruffle any feathers. They don't get upset with us when we flake on their dinner party, when we make demands on how, they, how we live. They accept us as we are, always. But grace without truth people, they run into some issues. Because am I really prepared to say, you do you, to turn the other way, to stay silent when a person's belief systems or choices or actions hurt people or themselves or us? Our culture tells us that we shouldn't impose our moral views on anyone because everyone has the right to find truth within themselves. But aren't there people in the world who are doing things that you believe are wrong Things that you believe that they should stop doing regardless of what they think about it. Grace without truth, it isn't really grace. Grace without truth, it's just tolerance. Tolerance of hurt, tolerance of pain, tolerance of destructive choices that can move people away from becoming the people that God created them to be. It doesn't embrace, it doesn't engage, it doesn't promote growth. It has no backbone. But true grace, grace engages. Grace fights for you. Grace won't let things stay the way they are because it believes that there is something better on the other side of a hard conversation. True grace always has as its goal, as its hope, transformation. Transformation of the other person, transformation of the relationship, transformation of the world. But grace without truth, it takes away any possibility of that. Because when we don't honestly tell people how their choices make us feel, how their choices matter in the world, or how their weaknesses are getting in the way of their growth and the goodness of the world, they stay stuck there, and so do we. When we shut down truth, we shut down any hope of things being different. I've heard it said that when we pick grace against truth, the best case scenario is conniving. We collude with each other. We collude with each other not to name each other's sin. We have a, a handshake agreement under the table that says, I'll help you ignore you, your issues if you help me ignore mine. That is the best case scenario, but there is also a worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario is a silent culture, a culture where no one speaks up for what's right. And in that culture that we create with our silence, the bullies keep on bullying and the abusers keep on abusing, and the gossips keep on gossiping, because we don't, we don't want to get in the middle of that. And we end up in a, with a world where genocide and power plays and greed run rampant and unchecked. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it well. He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And here's the sad part. More often than not, when we take truth out of grace, it's usually because we're afraid. We don't want to be disliked. We don't want to get rejected. We don't want to get labeled. We don't want to get left behind. So we just let others walk all over us and everyone else. We let everything go. We back away before a brawl breaks out. Grace without truth, it breeds more fear because if I'm too afraid to be honest with you about your blind spots, about your sin, about the truth of where you need to go, grow, I'm probably too afraid to face my own reflection too. I'll avoid my own issues, my own participation in the problems. I'll tolerate things in myself that need changing. I'll say, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. 
and we all just stay stuck where we are. Lots of us in our culture, we lean towards that, grace without truth. But there is another option in our culture, and lots of us lean towards that one too, truth without grace. Truth people make sure that everything is fair. They make sure that things are right, that justice is served. Truth people believe that it's our job to be the prophet's voice, to call out injustice, to blast the opposing team with truth bombs. And lots of us, we act like that's how God is too, or at least how God should be. God has high standards. And if we don't live up to those standards, we're going to pay. So we better tell everyone else where they're not measuring up. But here's the problem with that. Truth without grace, it has no skin in the game. Truth without grace, it isn't really truth. It's just judgmentalism. Judgment of your beliefs, judgment of your doubts, judgment of your choices. Judgment stands at a distance. It keeps its fists raised. It condemns things as they are. It doesn't embrace. It doesn't love. It doesn't hope for growth. It is self-protective, distrusting, unempathetic. But truth? Truth embraces. Truth engages. Truth fights for you. Truth won't let things stay as they are because it believes that there's something better when we lower our fists so we can see each other as God does, even when that's really hard to do. Truth always keeps as its goal, as its hope, transformation. Transformation of the other person, transformation of the relationship, transformation of the whole world. But truth, truth without grace, it takes away any possibility of that. Because here's what happens when we enforce truth without grace. People start to become afraid of us. They see that we're loyal to our cause, but they wonder if we're going to be loyal to them when they make mistakes, when they get things wrong. They know that we want to see things change, but they also know that we won't let them believe things differently than they do, than we do. We won't let them struggle in their journey. We won't let them say the wrong thing without getting told off. They know that we can't, they can't say what they really think. They can't ask questions. They can't explore without getting blasted. They feel that we can be quick to anger and slow to forgive. When we pit truth against grace, we often lose our audience before we ever get to the transformation part. Because when people feel beat up and scared to death of us, they aren't very receptive to anything else that we could offer them. They're too busy protecting themselves in our wake than with hearing anything that we want to share with them. And here's the sad part. More often than not, when we take grace out of truth, it's usually because we're afraid. We don't necessarily want to see others transformed or our world transformed. We want to protect our viewpoint, our tradition, our way of life. But from time to time, people in our church will ask me to look over an email or a letter that they're hoping to write to someone who's hurt them. Maybe it's a professor, an ex, a boss, a family member. They're trying to be brave, to speak their truth. They want to make sure that what they're saying reads right. And it's a noble idea, sort of. But more often than not, when I look at those first drafts, which are really good to write and sometimes not to send, those words are, their words are dripping with anger and bitterness. There is ammunition in those letters. They want the other person to know how hurt they are, how wrong the other person is. They want the, the other person to feel it. 
And so in those instances, I respond. You have two choices here. Your words can inspire them to change. Your words can, can bring your relationship closer and find healing. Or you can really, really hurt them. But most of the time, you can't have both. You can't shame them and also bring about real change. You can't belittle them and expect them to hear you. The people will start to hold back to protect themselves. They'll stop contributing. They'll stop caring. They'll start covering up their mistakes. And so will we. Because if I'm beating you up all day, chances are I'm beating myself up all day too. If all we do is condemn each other for what we lack, then we'll end up condemning ourselves in the end too. And lots of us in our culture, we lean towards that option, truth without grace. But the problem is that if you don't have grace and truth together, you end up with neither. When we choose grace without truth, grace without truth, we live it in our own lives too. And over time, we find ourselves caught up with the same old thought patterns over and over. I'll stop inviting people to speak into my life. I'll stop confessing my sin. I'll start to hide, and one day I will wake up so callous. And I'll feel no guilt about my struggle with lying or integrity or busying myself to death. When we choose truth without grace, truth without grace, we find ourselves angry all the time. We nurse resentment. We start to look for ways that they're failing. We give in to this need to condemn and to judge everyone who's wronged us, everyone who doesn't understand, everyone who doesn't see things the way that we see them. And over time, we'll stop forgiving. We'll let those grudges grow. And one day we'll wake up afraid and bitter and not really sure how we got there. That's grace without truth and truth without grace. Skin without bone, bone without skin. But maybe, maybe what we need is a third way. Maybe we need God in the flesh with grace and truth. God with skin and bone. And this is what Jesus, the word of God, demonstrates to us all over the gospels and the gospel of John. He is full of grace. He throws his arms open to, to sinners and tax collectors prostitutes and prodigals to people like you and me. He shows compassion for the crowds and he welcomes the children and he heals people of their leprosy and their loneliness. He is full of grace and he's also full of truth. He calls out hypocrisy and lying. He speaks up for what's right. He boldly declares what's wrong. He prophesies judgment. He obeys the law. He sets up standards and he calls those who would be his disciples to take up their crosses and to follow him. It is a hard word. But he is all grace and he is all truth all the time. Never in the Gospels. Never in the Gospels does Jesus run short on either one. And one day on the cross, he demonstrates grace and truth like we've never seen before and have never seen since. Because there on the cross, Jesus breathed his last and he declared it all done. It is finished, he said. All the judgment, all the condemnation, the truth without grace, it's finished. All the tolerance, all the enabling, the grace without truth, it is finished. And on the cross, Jesus laid down his life for God's truth as an act of God's grace. And the grave could not hold that tension down, the tension between grace and truth. And he rose again to save a wretch like me. I love how Pastor George Matheson said it. This quote, I love this quote. It says, There met colors that before had been, had been disjoined. Righteousness and peace. Justice and forgiveness. Penalty and pardon. 
the sentence of death and the message of life. Heaven and earth met together. Judgment and mercy embraced each other. In the fullness of thy glory, the hour of sin's condemnation was the hour of a world's redemption. There on the cross, grace and truth stood side by side. Jesus died on the crossbeams of grace and truth for our sin, for our shame, for everyone else that we want to tolerate and everyone else that we want to judge. And if we are going to be people of grace and truth in our world, then we have to let that sink into our own skin and bones first. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were prodigals and prostitutes and tax collectors, Christ invited us to dinner. That while we were a long way off, Christ saw us and came running and killed the fattened calf and threw us a party and gave us the best robes. This is the grace that we desperately need in our world. The message that God doesn't expect us to have our lives perfect or all figured out before we can approach God. Instead, we are just invited in. Come as we are. Come with our brokenness. Come with our pain. Come with our misunderstandings. And God's going to throw us a party anyway. This is the truth that we so desperately need. The message that we are not okay as we are. We have been wrong. We are wrong and we will be wrong. And our invitation in Christ is to change, to transform into the people who look like Jesus, full of grace and truth for the whole world. And maybe today is the day that you can be pulled into that grace, that truth, by becoming a follower of Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and today is a day that you can commit yourself in a deeper way to embracing grace and truth in your own life. Because in Christ, we are pulled in. We are drawn out into our best selves, into the selves that God always intended us to be. Because the truth has been named and Christ has had grace for us in it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not an endless reminder that you have messed up. The gospel is the truth that all of those realities that, yes, are true, can be put where they belong on the cross. And the gospel is also not a free pass that says that what you do and did and will do is just okay. The gospel is the grace that gives us eternal life on the other side of the empty tomb because God has chosen to love us anyway. And in that knowledge, in that safety, in that freedom, I can be pulled into a better reality, one that isn't afraid of facing the truth because it doesn't deny the reality of the grace. Now, a commitment to this as Christians can only lead us to a radically different way of dealing with those around us. It means that there can be no more place to judge the people in our lives because we all stand under the same need for the cross and the same declaration of forgiveness. It means that the exact moment when we become most frustrated with our communities for all the ways that they're wrong, or when we struggle with real wounds from real people, that those can become the exact moments when we give thanks to God for the cross and the empty tomb because sin makes it so apparent how much we need them. It means that I can defiantly refuse to put my ideologies ahead of being loving, ahead of people, my rightness, ahead of being kind. It means I can give up my need to be correct or my need for you to know that you're wrong so that I can listen to where you're coming from and how you came to that belief system. It means I can walk alongside you as you grow into an understanding of the truth without being threatened in mine. It means I can go straight into the heart of my wounds. 
and declare God's grace to everyone around me, even people who have hurt me, because I have firsthand experience with God's grace. When you think about it, when this idea is multiplied, when you have three people who really live into this grace and truth, when you have 30 people, when you have 300 people, we call that a church. And our job as a church, as people who have experienced this kind of grace and truth in our own lives, isn't just to believe it in our own lives. It's to mass produce it. It's to embody it for others, mustard seed by mustard seed, until Christ's grace and truth takes over the entire garden. So here's a little bit of what this can look like. So a friend of mine is a therapist, and a few years ago she told me a story. She was leading a workshop on perfectionism for women, and she asked the women in the workshop, it was kind of a, a multi-week workshop, she asked the women in the workshop to put together an art project that kind of showed what perfectionism meant for them in their lives. So they were going to go home, put together an art project, come back and share it the following week. So the next week rolls around, the women brought in their art projects, and one of the women offered to share her art project and what she'd put together with the rest of the group. And she, she like shows her art project, and she said, I'm just so sorry about this. I botched it seven times, and this one isn't right either in a perfectionism workshop. She said, see, if you look at it, there's this dot right here, and I, just, I couldn't erase the dot, and it's just messing the whole thing up. So how do you imagine that the other women responded in the group? They responded the way that most of us would respond, the way that I would probably respond. They said, what are you even talking about? What dot? I can barely see that. I wouldn't have ever noticed. Some of them said, oh no, the dot doesn't even matter. Your project is beautiful. And my therapist friend who was leading the workshop said, no, 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 that's not what her heart is asking. She isn't asking if you see the dot or if the dot matters. She's asking, when you see the dot, will you still love me? And that's the question that everyone all around us is asking every day, when you see the dot, Will you still love me? And the answer we get in Jesus is that yes, there are dots all over our lives. That's the truth. And yes, you are loved. That's the grace. So what can the word made flesh look like for you this week? How can we as a church embody this in our community, in our families, in our life groups, in our workplaces, in our schools. I have a friend who has a habit that every time she has to discipline her daughter, she starts with, I love you, and this behavior isn't gonna work for us. Hey kiddo, I love you, and this behavior isn't gonna work for us. She leads with grace. She assures her daughter that her love for her is not on the table. And in that love, because of that love, she's gonna tell her the truth. So what could it look like for us to communicate that message to everyone around us? First grace, then truth. Now for some of us, it starts with how we talk to ourselves. Some of us talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to someone else that we love. We beat ourselves up, we judge ourselves. And if that's us, maybe we need to start paying attention to that self-talk. And when we find ourselves doing that, to remember in Christ, there is grace, grace, grace. Some of us, need to be honest about that sin in our lives that we've been avoiding, that's holding us back, that's weighing us down, maybe finally talking to someone else about it. You can always talk to, to me or someone else on our staff team or another leader at church. We want to be here to remind you of God's grace and also help you walk in God's truth. Maybe some of us need to have a hard conversation 
Maybe we need to be honest about that thing that we've been trying to avoid. Maybe even that shower conversation that we have with somebody. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to embody it if you can. If you can, talk about it with another person. Uh, talk about it in person. Look them in the eye. If sending a letter or an email is really your best option, make sure that you sign it. Put your name on it. Look them in the eye. If you're a student and you're filling out course eval forms, put your name on it. Lead with grace. I'm not going anywhere. Follow up with truth. And that's why I'm telling you this, so that we can grow in our relationship together. And I'll be honest, this kind of thing is so much harder than choosing one or the other. It requires compassion. It requires self-compassion. It requires us to set boundaries and to name hard emotions. It requires me to reach out and touch you and to keep my backbone at the same time. But when we do this, when we can live into this, we will see an embodiment of the gospel. Jesus with skin and bone dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord God, you are all grace, all truth, all the time. And we pray that as we enter into this study of this gospel in this next year, you would teach us exactly what that looks like in you, and that we would learn to live in it in our stories now too. We pray for the people who struggle with grace and struggle with truth for all of us. We pray that you would teach us to grow, to balance those things as we learn more and more about what it looks like to lean into how you've done that for us with the cross and the empty tomb. We thank you for new life that allows us to lean into it and to model it. And we pray that as we talk to ourselves, as we talk to others, that we would really lean into grace and truth and that, that through that in us, you would change this community and the world. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.